You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Why is it that it's Christians who often, if you're real about it, can be the most discontented people that you know? See, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, everybody's searching, right? Everybody's searching. A wise man once said, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? Who was that? Jesus, right? Oh, Bono, Bono, that's it. <laughs> Guys, we're all, we're all searching. We're all searching. And that's why we're doing this new series called The Search. I'm conscious that whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, we're searching. We're searching as we'll look, about, look at this week. We're, we're searching for contentment. Why is it that we're still, why is it there's still something within us? That's gnawing away at us. Uh, people are searching for otherworldliness. The theological term is transcendence, and we'll look at that next week. People are searching for identity. Why do so many people in our day and age feel like they've got to find themselves? And people are always searching for assurance. And doubts has to be one of the biggest issues that I see in people that I'm chatting to all the time about Christianity. How can I be absolutely sure that what you're saying is right? But more importantly, how can I even be sure that the alternatives to Christianity are really all they're cracked up to be? Everybody's searching. And so the question for all of us tonight is that if we have found what we're supposed to be looking for as Christians, why is it that we still struggle with discontent? Why do we still search for contentment? And what I like about it is it's a biblical challenge. And it's a challenge that's happened for years and years and years because we're going to read from the Psalms tonight. And they happened thousands of years before uh, we are here tonight. And here we go in Psalm 1. That's an easy one to start with, isn't it? If you want your Bible, Psalm number 1, the gateway to all the great Psalms. I'm just going to read through to verse 3. It says, Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What is, what, is the one, what is the one thing? I'll give you a little bit of time to think it through. In fact, you could have 20 minutes if you want. Uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that if you said, if I could just have X, if I could just have this, then I'll be content. I'll be happy. Because verse 1, it says, Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is, and it's a funny Bible way of saying Happy. Happy is the person that doesn't, etc., etc., etc. Happy is the person. So first of all, it tells us this passage that happiness is possible in the first place. You can be happy. But here's the problem with happiness. Here's the problem with contentment to begin with, and that is that contentment's not an illusion. It's a real thing. You can have it, but it's elusive. Contentment's elusive. And so when it comes to this, what is this one thing that we could really have that would make us happy and and right with the world? Do you you want to see what mine is or was? It's this. I mean, who wouldn't want one of these? 
It was, it was Christmas Eve in 1986, I believe it was. And I was hanging out. I was praying to the Lord, as every good Christian boy does, that God would give me, or Santa would, God through Santa, would give me a Sony Walkman. And, and you know that feeling that you have at Christmas time when you're a kid? And just the thought of it alone was enough to keep you going for the next five years. You could just eat it for breakfast, that sense of excitement. And if, if only I could just have this. And, and sure enough, all of my dreams came true the next morning when I, I rumbled through the Santa sack and I pulled it out. And there it was, a Sony Walkman. And it proved that there is a God. It was accompanied by a copy of Michael Jackson's Bad that had just been... <laughs> Been released. I mean, I, I played that thing like a smooth criminal. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. <laughs> hey, I wore, I wore that thing around wherever I went, of course, with fluffy headphones like that. We knew how to do headphones in the 80s, didn't we? None of these hard earbud type things that no one can see. Not just nice big chunk of foam. It just keeps your, your, your head comfortable. I walked, I, I felt all my Christmases had, had come at once. Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you ever had a glimpse, just a glimpse, just a little taste of those moments in life where you think it does not get better than this? We all desire happiness. We all desire contentment at some point, And that is exactly the problem <laughs> because you and I have tasted it. We've, we've felt it, right? Whether it's in a Walkman or whatever yours might be, we've felt it and yet we know deep down that it won't last. <laughs> the way I think about it is that happiness is like fairy floss. That, that the very act of, of tasting it dissolves it away. And as a result, people go one of two ways. On one hand, you have the people over here that say, well, if that's the case, give me more fairy floss, <laughs> more fun, more pleasure. Let's just turn the volume up on all the good things in life and let's, let's do that so this nagging of the breaking in can't possibly get a chance amongst the noise of our pleasure. And then you have the people over here who have tasted it. It's gone away. They don't know how to get it back and they say, that's it. Never again. Never again will I eat fairy floss. Never again will I give my heart to someone. Never again will I trust that person. Never, never again will I enjoy a moment because it will be so fleeting that why bother in the first place? See, see what these two strategies are doing? They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to escape the elusiveness of contentment. That's a problem with it. It's elusive. It, it's always running away from us. Now... Have you ever felt like this? And this um, let me frame this up. This is a bit confronting. But you have, have you ever felt like this? Now, that moment where you're sitting at a table and there's all of the best friends you could think of or there's family and you're enjoying the moment and you're laughing so hard that you could feel like your sides are going to split. <laughs> and it doesn't feel any better until out of nowhere, and I don't know where it comes from, it just sort of snaps and you look around and you realise there could be a point in time where only one person around this table will still be alive. That this moment is just fleeting. Or, or, or maybe it's where well, you've had one of those killer sunsets that you know that 
just is never going to be repeated again. And it's almost as if time stands still for a moment. And then it breaks in and you realize that it is just a moment. Or as a good friend of mine said, you know, he, he had a moment where he's up in the mountains taking photos of his wife and they're newly married and from behind the camera he stops and pauses for a moment in that terrible realization that in the most incredible wonderful joy that he had that as he looks outside of the lens at her and without vocalizing realizes that there may be a day when she's no longer there see how see the problem now it, it it breaks in on us. It, break, it, it, stuffs, it stuffs the whole thing up. You see, our pain is not that contentment is an illusion in life because we felt it all right. The pain is that contentment eludes us. It's always running away from us. It doesn't last. We've felt it. We do feel the happiness. We do feel the contentment. And the problem is that it doesn't last. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Surprised by Joy, he says, it was a sensation, of course, of desire, but desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone. The whole glimpse withdrawn. The world turned commonplace again, or only stirred by a longing for the longing that had just ceased. Guys, do you know what I'm talking about here? We feel it, don't we? And it's not just Christians, it's, every, it's, every, it's everyone. And that's why all sorts of different schools of thought try to explain it, you approach it economically. Economists say it's the problem of unlimited wants, right? Have we got any economists in the room? <laughs> the problem with contentment, it's an economic principle, right? It's just the problem of un, unlimited wants, of course, yeah. <laughs> or, or, then, or then we could approach it psychologically, and say that your thought balances are out of whack and the reason that you're unhappy is that because you're not thinking straight. And look, trust me, as someone who's been there, of course, that's, that's a factor to it, but that's not all there is to it. Or we could explain it sociologically that we are oppressed and that we're part of a subgroup that's never had the right choices and the right ability to flourish in life. So that's why we lack contentment. We could explain it biologically, that the reason that you lack contentment is because there are molecules bouncing around in your brain and that's just why you feel the way that you feel. You see, it's not just a Christian problem. Everyone feels the elusiveness of contentment, right? And so the problem is not only that it's elusive, but how do we solve that? What's the Bible got to say about all of that? Here's, here's three things that I, I want to take us with tonight. We're going we're to look at, I guess, the uniqueness of Christian contentment. Uh, we're gonna, also going to look at the depth of Christian contentment. We're also going to look at the pathway to Christian contentment. So the first thing is that Christian contentment, as opposed to all these other schools of thought, it's unique. It's totally different from the way that the rest of the world processes contentment. Let's have a look at verse Three here it says, uh, the godly person, they are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever that they do prospers. Now, did you hear that metaphor there? What a metaphor! The tree, he get this the tree is subject to seasons, 
So in other words, uh, contentment and goodness and all the right things that, that the tree wants in life if the tree was personified, <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. There are times of abundance and then there's times of drought. And so the tree has its seasons. There are ups and downs. And life is not always the way that the tree wants it. Now, here, there's an incredible case study in this. It was in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. And so it says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles, so that we can with comfort those in trouble, so that we can comfort those in, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Can you see the dynamic that we've got there with Paul writing? And here's what I love what he says after this. He's saying there's a, there's a weird, unique dynamic about the Christian life here that we're, we're uncomfortable, but we're comfortable. We're uncomfortable, we're comfortable. He says in here, Second uh, Corinthians 1 verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships that we suffered, suffered in the province of Asia. We're under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even for life. Now, you want to read between the lines of what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying life was, he goes, I don't want you to be stupid about this, guys, and the Christian walk. Life was so flippin' tough that we were suicidal. We, dis, we despaired even of life. And so the internals of his thought processes, if it's by the world standard, he's, he's, he's lost it. He's, he's out of there. And then it's, it's incredible then a little bit later on in the same book that he's writing in chapter 4, verse 8. So it's chapter 1, verse 8, and then chapter 4, verse 8, he says, oh, it's a great verse that Graham loves. It's like Northside's signature verse. It says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, does that sound like a guy whose external circumstances, his seasons is going well for him? <laughs> Remember Paul when he's always talking about his life, we were shipwrecked and then I was flogged and then the car broke down and then I forgot my sermon notes so I just had to preach out. Did Paul sound like the sort of guy that life was going right for him? And yet there was an incredible contentment in Paul, right? Philippians 4, we've done that passage. I know what it is to be content when I'm have plenty and, and when I'm in want. I've learnt the secret of what, he says, contentment amongst all of this. So here's the uniqueness of Christian contentment, you see, because I think there are two strategies that the world deals with, with contentment. They've got the internal strategy. They say the problem that you're not, not content is that you're not thinking positively enough. And, of course, positive thoughts go a long way in, in overcoming part of that battle, but it's not the whole picture because here's a depressed, borderline suicidal Paul and yet he's the one saying, I've still found the secret of contentment. So it, it's nuanced, it's unique. And, it's, and so it's not just the internals and it's not just the externals. The external strategy says the reason you're unhappy is that you've not constructed your life in a way so as to give you as much fulfillment because life says you can do anything. You know, you, you know what it's like in the modern day world. You do yourself up a dream board. You know, you sit there and you visualize it and you do up your, your dream board on the cork board and, and you, if you just believe it, the universe is, is going to allow it to materialize, right? 
And it's the externals. And yet, yet Christianity, Christian contentment's utterly unique. It's the third way because Paul's an example where the internals are shot. He's an example where the externals are shot. And he's still content. He's learned the secret. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that the Bible from the beginning is saying that happiness and contentment is not a subject that can be addressed by scientific explanation. And it's not a subject that can be addressed just by psychology. And it's not a subject that can be addressed just by economics. The Bible has dared to say from the very beginning that the things that make you content or discontent are profoundly spiritual and cosmic. And in the Psalms, it's been like that for centuries. It's unique. It's unique. But here's the second thing. We go, well, how, how is it profoundly cosmic? The second thing is that Christian contentment is much deeper than you realize. I look at verse 3 again of Psalm chapter 1. Much deeper, it, it says, But they are like a tree planted by streams of water. They're planted by streams of water. I'll say it again. They're planted by streams of water. You hear in the metaphor? You see, many people think that being a Christian is to be a religious person or to be a good person or to be a nice person or to go to church every Sunday. And yet what this passage is saying is that a Christian is something that has roots deep in something that is beyond their internal and their external circumstances. They're planted. And this is off the charts for some people. And here's why. I hope you get to meet him one time because I know I've shared it before. My cousin Brett at Christmas time, he was just a little kid. And he was hanging out for a super soaker. And my poor Nan, my poor Nan, she, she grew up in a housing commission house all her life. So, yeah, we grew up in Nan's housing commission place, classic red brick thing. That's how I spent my school holidays. Cigarette smoke and paint falling off the ceiling. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and so poor Nan had like saved up all of her pension uh, for us to exchange gifts. And she knew that Brett wanted a super soaker and she, she presented the present to him and he ripped it open with excitement and then he took one look at it and his face soured for a little bit and it got worse and then he goes, this super soaker is crap. <laughs> Throws it and runs off into the other room. And I had absolutely no sense of what Nan had been through to get it for him. <laughs> but obviously it wasn't the right brand of super soaker because Nan obviously shops at Franklin's instead of Toys R Us. But you see, Brett, cousin Brett, in his childlike state, he's a much better kid these days, he's, he's representative of most people. That is that his contentment is, was found in his ex. <laughs> You know, unless I have this brand of super soaker, I can't be happy. <laughs> unless I have this one thing, I can't be content. And so as adults, we think it's stupid and we laugh at his story, but we laugh at him, and yet are we really that much different? <laughs> that we say, I mean, our responses, they're more measured and we've got more social nuance than Brett, but we are constantly saying to the things of the world, this super soaker's crap, this job's not good enough. This house is not good enough. This relationship's not good enough. This family's not good enough. And if I could just have a better ex, then maybe, maybe, just maybe I'll be happy. You see, 
you know, what people say in the world is they're saying, how can you be content when the only things that you get contentment from are being taken away from you? And that's the reason why they say you can't be content in all things like Paul. That's why they haven't found the secret. And the reason is that many people, their contentment is in their circumstances. Their contentment is in their ex. And they say, you know, what is suffering and what is hardship and what is unhappiness? But by the taking away of the circumstances that make me content. (laughs) And so it's either the health and or God. It's either professional success and or God. It's either a relationship and or God. You know, it's it's a both end. I've got to to have God and I've got to have this as well, right? And see the image of the tree, that's what I love about the tree. Remember, it, it has seasons. It's not, life's not always chipper for the tree. There are times of abundance and there's times of drought. And that's why one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, we've preached on it before, 1 Peter verse 1, verse 6. <laughs> he says, uh, though, though you are rejoicing, you suffer greatly because you are enduring trials of all different kinds. Remember that verse? wonderful verse and it shows the uniqueness of Christian contentment because when you dig into the grammar, the first thing you realize is that those two words, rejoicing and grief, it's rejoicing present tense now. So you are rejoicing now. And then it says grief now. Not you are grieving a little bit now and if you bunker in tight, you'll rejoice when all things get good and Jesus comes back. No, it says, even though you're suffering grief of all many times now, you are also rejoicing. And I don't know about you, but I don't think until you've experienced some of the deep hardship of life in some of those moments when you are, you know, I've had moments, and you guys know my story, we've had moments in driving to say goodbye to my mum at the hospital and with tears running down my cheek that somehow I could play a worship song on the radio and I could praise God and I could worship God in the midst of grief. And so I, I, never knew what, I never knew what that nuclear fuel rod was until I experienced it for myself. And those who are mature Christians, you've been there, right? You've experienced that dynamic. It's, it's, deeper, than you re- it's deeper than you realize, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> if you haven't been through that, Christian contentment is far deeper then you realize, and I think that's a tough thing for, for young guys and girls because I think we just think happiness is expected and it's going to rain, rain, rain down from the heavens. <laughs> and then as you go through life and you experience some of these grief, you, you suddenly realize that yes, happiness is possible, but at the same time, happiness is not a given, contentment's not a given. You've got to experience both, it's deeper. So. Can you see what it, why it's deeper? You're filled with great rejoicing and grief at the same time. It's utterly unique. And you see, that's the difference between a tree, a normal tree out in the nursery, and a tree that's planted by a stream. Because a tree out in the nursery needs all of its nutrients and its life to fall from the heavens in its external circumstances around it, right? But a tree, a nice big fig by a babbling brook and a rapids that have its roots tapped into the water basin deep underneath it, it could be as dry and as arid and as desert-like in its external circumstances and there will be life and there will be strength in that thing, right? Are you planted? Is your, is your contentment deeper than your external circumstances? See, see how we're all searching? <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still searching for Christian contentment. 
Now, what, what do you mean there's a depth? Here's how I explain it finally. The Christian contentment is not the end product, it's a byproduct. Christian contentment is not the end product, it's a byproduct. Remember the you know, remember the other great passage of the blesseds in the Bible? Does any pop quiz, gold star, I'll put it in my little cardboard cutout of the congregation in my office. <laughs> where, where were the other blesseds in the New Testament? Matthew. All right, who said that? You're getting a gold star, Dan Buckingham, but you're theologically trained. Oh, it was Susie, was it? All right, okay, Susie. So- Exactly. Matthew, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Blessed are the what? The poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Right? Never in the Bible, and get this, never in the Bible does it say, blessed are those who search for blessedness. Never, uh, never says happy are those that search for happiness. See what? See the brilliance of Jesus, and it's understandable because the guy's God. <laughs> he says Christian contentment is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of searching for something beyond the happiness and the contentment that you want. So blessed, blessed are the poor. <laughs> it's 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 beyond. And so here's why. You know, look, if I knew that I was getting a Sony Walkman for Chris, this Christmas, 2013, do you think I'd be as excited? Actually, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah goes, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but no, look, they're, they're, they're outdated. They're a wonderful piece of history, but they're inferior and they belong in the powerhouse 80s museum. Um, and they're used and it's old and poor Michael Jackson is no longer with us now. But here's what I realised and here's the reality. You see that not only has the object of my affections changed, but the capacity, my capacity to be fulfilled has changed. Or in other words, the capacity of the object of my affection, it's no longer there to fully satisfy me a walkman's not going to do it now you grow up (laughs) you want relationships you want houses you want all sorts of cool stuff right no way a walkman's going to do that for me it's not going to do it for you and so here's the question for you tonight if if that's the case with kids you know that one at one point in time a walkman was it for sam Haddon, as far as contentment was done how can you be sure tonight that the very thing that you've anchored yourself to, how can you be sure that your ex has the capacity in and of itself to keep you contented not only 30 years from now, but three years from now? How can you be sure? You see, it was never about the Walkman, guys, and here's why the blessedness, the happiness, the contentment was not in the Walkman in and of itself, but it was in something beyond the Walkman. Jesus should have said, blessed are those who own Walkmans, (laughs) right? It was beyond the Walkman because it was never in the Walkman. It was that intangible fairy floss, the thing that we taste and dissolves away so quickly. And that is for for the Christian contentment. It's not the end product. It's a byproduct. I'll put it another way. You know, you can, you can want the end product of that funny, sick feeling in your stomach that comes with rapid acceleration. And there are two ways to go about it. You can go on a roller coaster or you can jump off a cliff. Right? Both of them will make your tummy feel funny. 
But you see, one of them is going to guide you back down to safety. The other one's really, really going to hurt. And friend, whether you're a Christian or not, you need to work out the, the. You need to work out whether or not the thing that you were chasing that feeling of contentment from is a roller coaster or a cliff face. You need to work out tonight whether the things that you were chasing after you are going to help you or they're going to or they're going to harm you. Because Christian contentment is a byproduct, and that is, it's it's merely beyond our circumstances, and that's a byproduct of what? It's what we call the Christian life. The contentment that we're talking about tonight is a byproduct of being a Christian, of following Jesus Christ, because they won't do it. Walkmans won't do it. Super soakers won't do it. Houses won't do it. Money won't do it. Careers won't do it. They're all good things, but come on, guys, you and I both know that we can't go on eating fairy floss every day of our lives for the next 30, 40, 50 years, right? It's going to damage our body. You can't go chasing just the good things for the rest of your life. They're good things, but don't elevate them to the place of being great things. And here's how you stop that from happening as we finish up tonight. Here's, here's the first step on the pathway to searching for contentment and finding it. The first step that you've got to do tonight, the first step to becoming a Christian, is to realize that the things that you think will bring you contentment have you by the neck. That they're not helping you. But if you leave them long enough, they're going to harm you. And so more practically, I've got to ask you tonight, and I've said it once before, do you need to drop your ex this Christmas? That can always be a healthy thing to let go of your ex. What was the one thing for you? What was the one thing that you need to drop, that you need to let go of? That one thing that if I just had it would make me happy. Because if, if that one thing is not God, and can we be real? I'm trying not to over-spiritualize it. When I ask myself that question, Jesus Christ was not my first answer and I'm the pastor. But that's what we need to be doing. What, is, what, ha, what has us? You need, to, you need to drop your X. And here's at a deeper level. Here's how it happens. Because verse 2, there's a really cryptic way that this psalm says it. And it's an old book, so it's understandable. But it says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And you have to know a bit of the background there. But to walk in the counsel of the godly, to walk with someone means... In other words, it's saying, um, who's, who's your posse? <laughs> who's, who's your gang? Who, who do you believe? You know, you're on the north side or the south side or the east side. Or the, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, who's, that, who's that identity with? <laughs> In other words, the psalm was saying, who do you belong to tonight? Because, friends, we have to realize that someone or something owns us. And more often than not, it's the X that owns us. And it says, blessed are those that work, uh, walk. And I didn't use the NIV translation, the old one, the wicked, because we run off and we think, oh, you know, blessed are those who don't hang with bad people. You know, it's too simplified. It's not nuanced enough. Really, what it was saying simply was this, and I had to write it down because it was a double negative. <laughs> it's saying, happy is the person who does not not belong to God. <laughs> That's what, if you're ungodly, it means that you do not belong to God. So the verse was saying, happy is the person who does not not belong to God. In other words, it's saying happy is the person who is owned by God. 
when God owns you, there you begin the path to ultimate contentment. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy. And he's saying this as an, a guy who was an atheist. If I find in myself desires nothing in this world that can ever satisfy, then I can only conclude that I myself was not meant for here. Who owns you? If you're a Christian, you understand those incredible words that say you were bought with a price. You are owned by Jesus Christ. There should be no X's when you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing economically as the principle of unlimited wants when you are owned by Jesus Christ because there should just be one want and that satisfies all the rest of the wants. But therein lies the greatest challenge, if we're real, isn't it? For each and every one of us. <laughs> Because we're always struggling to want Jesus. Friend, that feeling, if I find myself desires that can never satisfy, that, that feeling, you, you know the feeling deep down. I could see it in our faces tonight. We know the feeling when we're at the table with friends and that sick feeling broke in. We know the feeling when we're enjoying the sunset and it fades away from us. We know the feeling when we spent a day with a loved one that we thought could never get any sweeter and we realise that there may be a day that they're no longer with us. It's real. It's elusive. Something keeps breaking in to remind you and I that we're not meant for here. How does that help us? Oh, you're going to have to come back next week as we look at the search for otherworldliness, the search for transcendence. We're not meant for here. But in the meantime, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sense it deep down that we are not meant for this place. And I know for each and every one of us, I can assume so because as a Christian father, I know deep within myself there's a discontent. Uh, there's a desiring of things here in this world that uh, never fully satisfies. So Father, I pray for each and every one of us in this place tonight that uh, we might take your word seriously that we might be people who are planted by you, Heavenly Father, that almighty stream of love and of life and of wonder and of joy. Father, help each and every one of us in this room, non-Christian or non-Christian, a non-Christian or Christian, rather recognize tonight that we're all searching. We still haven't quite found what we're looking for, as that rock star sung. Well, that's why we're going to need your Holy Spirit right now in this time of ministry to reclaim our hearts, to reown us as your followers, Lord Jesus. Will you do that in the most supernatural of sins? Father, I pray if there's someone here that, that's just ended up here because of this act, they're searching, they're looking. There's hunger pains because they've been living off fairy floss for 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 years. Father, I pray that they're going to come to the table tonight. They're going to eat of a meal that is, is truly going to begin to satisfy, that they're going to taste of something tonight, Father, in this place that is median, that is otherworldly, and that they realize it is beyond everything they've ever known. I pray that they might find Jesus Christ. So be with us as a church. Give us a resilience. Give us a strength. Give us uh, an otherness in our workplaces and our families because we are, like Paul, 
discovering that incredible secret that's called contentedness. We pray this now in your mighty name. Amen. Now, friends, we come to a time of communion um, to recognize that, um, that our groundedness, that our hope, that our contentedness is that we, we eat and drink tonight of a meal that is not fairy floss. Because it ain't that sweet. It's a picture of a saviour who lived and breathed and then died a gory, bloody death on the cross for us. It showed us that that you can have moments in your life when life ain't working for you. When the world went up to Jesus on the cross and sarcastically said as he got taunted by those Roman soldiers, they looked up at him and sort of said, how's life working for you now? And yet a power and a glory and a wonder and a happiness and a joy exploded in his life three days later. It exploded in his followers' life as they experienced the, gro- the, the, the grief of seeing their Savior be crucified in front of their eyes. And, 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 then, and then the Bible's full of the stories of joy that happened for them. And so every week the believers would come together. They would, they would remember the words that he'd sown into them. Take this, this, this bread, which is my body, it's going to be broken for you. Um, take this cup, which is my blood shed for you. You know, in, in the sense of what we're talking about tonight, he's saying, um, look, look beyond. Don't pursue the happiness for happiness' sake.